Remember, we uh, we kind of skip. We've been doing Luke, and we skipped Luke last week, so we needed just a little more time. It's a difficult, not necessarily difficult passage this morning, but it's. Uh, I'm going to show you something about who Jesus is. If you remember, last time we were in Luke, we talked about who Jesus is, and we talked about Simeon's song. If you remember all that, he was telling us who Jesus was. Uh, today we're going to continue that line of thought. This is the con- line that Luke is continuing. And uh, in Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 39. But before we do that, let me, uh, let me pray and ask God to be with us because we sure are going to need His help this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you today for your blessings and your mercies. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're continuing to do through us. We pray that you would be with each and every family that's represented here, God, and that you would uh, rain your blessings and your grace and your mercy and your word down upon us, Lord. And we pray that you would uh, be with us in this service and that your spirit would just come into this place in such a way that, uh, that your word would just take root in our hearts and we could know more about you when we leave. We can know who you are and therefore know who we're called to be and who we're called to be in. Lord, we, uh, we pray that you'd be with Brother Eddie as he's in Dixon today and that he's preaching. We pray you would anoint him and that you would bring, uh, um, that you'd bring souls into your kingdom and be with Brother Johnny as he's going to preach in the next service. Lord, we're already looking forward to that and we just can't wait to hear what you've laid on his heart to give us today. Father, we pray that you would uh, be with our Sunday school classes and uh, help us just to fellowship with each other, to love one another, and to, uh, and to learn about you and to uh, grow in who you are. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 2. If you remember, I'm going to give you just a little review because we skipped Luke last week and we did Psalm, uh, one of the Psalms instead of, uh, instead of continuing in Luke. So last time we were in Luke, we looked at, remember, Jesus was just a little baby. Uh, his parents had brought him into the temple to dedicate him, to sacrifice for him according to the law. And uh, uh, this man and this woman named Simeon and Anna, they walked up to uh, uh, Jesus and Mary and Joseph while they were in the temple. And Simeon goes to talking about who... Um, uh, about who this Jesus is and who he will be. And we looked at what Simeon said. It's called Simeon's Song uh, in a lot of different places. And he, he told us that, you know, this is not just a baby. This is the Lord. This is the Lord himself. And he told us that this he would be the fulfillment of all the promises of God, the fulfillment of God's promise to Israel, a light to the Gentiles. He would be a fulfillment of all of the things that God has promised. And of course, you and I, we know the end of the story, so we know that's not a big stretch. But for, the, for them there hearing in the, uh, in the temple, it would have been something huge. And uh, we also saw that he is a divider. Simeon said he was going to divide households. He's going to divide families. There are people, you know, and you have experienced that in your own life where you... Uh, trust in Christ and you follow him and there are pe- people in your own family, your own friends, your own circle of influence that uh, they, they don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. He's a divider of households. And so uh, today, as we look in verse 39, hopefully I'm going to get all the way to the end of uh, chapter two. We're going to see the only boyhood testimony of Christ in all of Scripture. It's, it's the only, only, uh, only picture of Jesus we have when he was a boy. And uh, uh, it shows him about 12 years old. And uh, this is, it's going to, I'm going to throw some kind of heavy things on you today. So this is why I didn't do it last week because I, I needed time to get it all together. Um, I'm going to show you that Jesus, of course, we know that he is God and man. 
But this is completely illustrated and perfectly illustrated in this text about him being God and man. So the purpose today is not just to give you information. It's not just to teach you some big fancy words or anything like that. The purpose is for you to know who this Jesus is that we're serving. Who this Jesus is. It's for you to grow in your relationship with him. To understand exactly who he is and what he's done for you. And the, what we're going to see here, I'll just go ahead. I'm going to give it all to you right at the beginning. So we know where we're going. So I won't have to, I won't have to, you won't have to guess where we're headed. He is both God and he is man. He is 100% God. He's 100% man. A lot of times that's hard to wrap your mind around. I mean, when you think of 100%, you're thinking, oh, that's everything. You can't have, I always wonder about people say, I give 110%. Well, you only got 100%. I don't know how you give 110 but Jesus was truly, he was a, a person with two complete natures. He was a person that was completely human in every sense of the word, without a sin nature, of course. But he was completely God as well. He wasn't half human, half God. A lot of times we think of him, Jesus, being uh, God and man as we think of him being just a man with a body. But yet his mind was God. And that's not correct. He had a human mind as well. He was 100% human. And that's necessary. You might think, oh, Lord, here I am in a class. I don't need, I don't need to be taught, you know, just uh, the facts and figures. I need something relevant for my life. But really, this is the most relevant because whatever Jesus took upon himself, when he took upon the, the form of a servant, when he took upon flesh, when the word became flesh, whatever he took upon himself, is what he is able to redeem for you. And so he is able to redeem your mind, your body, your soul. He's able to redeem every part of you because he took upon himself every part of humanity without sin, without a sinful nature. He took upon himself. He became a actual man. He became a man. And yet did not discard his Godhood. If uh, this is important, I'm trying to make a case for why you need to listen. And so I don't bore you. Uh, It's important because he cannot be our savior unless he is number one, unless he is completely man. Because he has to stand in for me and I'm completely man. That's all I am as a man. He has to stand in for you. That's all you are as a human being. He's got to stand in for you. And so he stands in for us. He is the substitute to take on our sin and the wrath of God, uh, the father to fall upon him because he is a man. He's a real man. He can stand in for mankind. He can be the substitute for mankind for the first time in all of history. An actual man, when he ascended to heaven, an actual man came into the throne room of God and was lauded, exalted, sat down at the right hand of God, sinless, perfected, had fulfilled the law, had fulfilled God's uh, uh, purpose for humanity. For the first time ever, an actual man, a real man, came into the throne room of God and satisfied justice for you and me. But if he wasn't, if he was just man, then he wasn't, he wasn't perfect enough. To save us. He had to be God as well. Only God could get rid of sin. Only God can keep his law. Only God is the perfect and precious lamb that can satisfy sin. So what we're going to see today is you're going to see a picture of Jesus as both God and man. He's not just 
body of a man with God in his mind. That's an ancient, that's an ancient heresy. I'll spare you the big terminology. He is actually a person with two natures. He was 100% God. He was absolutely God. Perfect. He was absolutely man as well. He was a man. He was a God with two natures. God took upon himself two natures. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Y'all got that? I hope you had your coffee this morning. Okay, so he's a real man. Look at verse 39. It says, uh, and when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, remember, we left them in the temple. Right now they're in the temple. They're sacrificing for the infant baby Jesus. And uh, the Simeon and all those uh, came up and uh, sang about him being Messiah and God and all those things. And it says, and when they had performed all the things that, according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Now you get a snapshot. This is, is from verse 39 and verse 40 are the only two verses in all of the Bible that show Jesus between infant and 12 years old. Uh, Verse 41 is going to start where he's 12 years old. And it basically gives us absolutely no information whatsoever. And so it tell, it shows us that it was just a normal childhood. It said he grew strong. He grew physically. He grew to, uh, you know, I mean, think about this for a minute. Jesus, God, God himself, when he came as the Christ, when he, the second person of the Trinity took on flesh, he had to learn how to use his hands. He had to learn how to walk the same way you and I learn how to walk. He had to stumble around and, and, and fall on his face four or five times to learn how to walk just like you and I do. He had to learn how to use his vocal cords. He wasn't born from, from Mary and that night saying, hello, Mary, how are you? Mom, it's good to see you. Everything's good. No, he had to learn to use his voice. He had to learn to use his mind. He, his mind worked just like an infant's works today. He was hungry. When he was hungry, he cried. When he, when he, you know, had pain or, or, or sickness or all those things, he cried out to, you know, to get his mom's attention. When you, uh, your first baby, all y'all know, when, when you have your first child, it's like when, when we had Jacob, our first child, it was like, you know, is everything fine? You know, let me turn the heat up. Turn the heat. Is the, it's too hot now. Let me turn the heat down. Let me turn. Is he covered up? Or he needs to be uncovered. I, you know, we were, we were worried about, you know, is he fine? By the time Sophie got here, it was like, she'll be fine. Just lock her in there. It'll be all right. She'll, be a, she'll work it out. You know, if she needs covered up, she'll work it out. He, just like that, Mary and Joseph, you know, they were, they were taking care of this child. It was, he was a real Man, and that in that regard, he could stand in for you and I. But understand, it's amazing to me when you think about this, that the God of all the universe, the God of all the universe had to learn how to use his hands. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to speak. He had to cry when he was hungry. The God of all the, you know, the one who spoke in the stars spun out into the sky. The one who has all power, all glory, and no name greater than his name. The one who is exalted above all the heavens because he loved you and he loved me. He took on flesh and not only humbled himself, but he humbled himself to a point where he couldn't even use his fingers until he figured out how. He couldn't use his feet. He couldn't walk. He couldn't use his vocal cords. He couldn't use his mind until he grew into, into 
young adulthood and all those kind of things. He could use his mind, but you know what I mean? He thought like an infant. He thought like a baby. He was an actual human. He was an actual man. And so it says he, he grew and he grew physically. He, he did everything that we do. When he hurt, he cried. He felt the pain. He felt the, 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 you know, always, uh, Sophie's going through this thing where she's laying in bed crying because her legs hurt for no reason. You know, I don't do well with that kind of, why do your legs hurt? Did you hurt them? No, they just hurt. Well, suck it up. You know, just, you know, you'll be all right. And her mom has to go in there and pamper her a little bit. And of course she tells me it's, it's like growing pains. They all go through that. You know, the bones hurt and they, Jesus went through the same things that you and I go through. He, he went through the same kind of childhood physical that you and I went through. And that's an important thing. I'll show you exactly why it's so important in just a moment. But he also grew in wisdom. He grew in wisdom and understanding. He said he's filled with wisdom in this verse. If you uh, take a peek all the way to the end of the chapter, at the very last verse, verse 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He learned just like you and I learned. He didn't come out of his mom as an infant able to do quadratic equations and chemistry and to know all the things. He chose to take on flesh, which meant if he takes on flesh, he's taking on all the limitations of flesh. It didn't mean that he stopped being God. It didn't mean that he stopped being divine, but he took on, he chose to take on the, the, uh, the flesh of a man and become a man, mind, body, and soul. Whatever Jesus took up is able for, uh, is able, he is able to save from you. If he just became God walking around in a human body, then he's not able to save us to the uttermost because he didn't have a human mind. Didn't have a human soul, but he became 100% absolutely perfect man. And he was completely 100% God. Are y'all with me? Y'all looking at me like, ooh, I didn't sign up for theology class. So anyway, he learned like us. He learned like us. He, 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 he went to Hebrew boy school. He learned Hebrew. He learned the, the, the same way that all the Hebrew boys learn. He, uh, uh, he, he was omniscient. He knew all, but he veiled that by becoming a man. It says, you might be thinking, well, how is that even possible? But if you even, if you read through Jesus's ministry, the whole point of his ministry, the whole point of his life, he trusted the father. He trusted the father for what was going to go on, for what was going to happen. And there were times when Jesus's divinity came out, but it was always by the spirit of God that he did the things that he did. If you look and see, uh, it's going to be Matthew chapter 12, uh, where uh, he cast out the demons and uh, the people were on him saying, you know, you're casting out demons by the power of the devil and all that. If, if you listen to Jesus response, he says, He says, if I cast out, if I drive out demons by the power of the spirit, he said, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so Jesus chose in eternity past for you and for me to take on the form of a man, to take on flesh, to become a man so that you and I could be saved. I want you to think about the sacrifice that 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 had to have uh, that had to enter his mind when he did that. When he said, I will take upon human flesh, I will become flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I will become a baby. I don't want to be a baby now. They can't do anything. They can't drive. You know, they can't vote. They can't they can't express themselves. 
He chose to become a man and to grow like men grow, to hurt like men hurt, to do the things that we go through all the time. And he chose to do that in order to save you, in order to save me. He was absolutely 100 percent man. Now, if you fast forward, we'll keep on moving. It says, you know, the story in verse 41. Now, his parents were to went to Jerusalem every year at the feast for Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem after the custom of of the feast. Now, this is important. Uh, 12 years old, he is going each year. His family went to the Passover at 12 years old at 13 years old. The Hebrew boy becomes a man. At 13 years old, he becomes what's called a son of the commandment. You probably heard the word before. The word is bar mitzvah. He, he becomes a son of the commandment and he is, is uh, inducted as a member of the synagogue. He's responsible to keep the law. He now must go to the Passover every year and offer sacrifice. He becomes an adult. And so in, in the Jewish times in the first century, parents would take their children. Uh, fathers were duty bound to take their sons when they're 11 and 12 years old to Jerusalem, to the feast, to the Passover, so that they could learn all the rites and the rituals all the things that were going on, what's expected of them. And when they're 13, they become a man and all that is expected of them. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus? I don't know if it was his first time at the Passover. Probably not. It says his family went every year. But can you imagine the sights and the sounds? He walks through the huge gate in Jerusalem and there's 200,000 people there and they're all there for the Passover and they're celebrating and there's feasts every day. There's there's uh, times of prayer every day where they go to pray to God. There's uh, prayers that are offered by the family. There is uh, the Passover feast itself that the family partakes of. Uh, there was all kind of things singing. There was all kinds of feasts and festivals and rites and rituals and all those things that happen. And Jesus is just wide eyed 12 year old boy looking at all these things. And it's going to become clear to him r- right here as we end this passage that all of these things were pointing toward him. All of these things were foreshadowing him. All of these things, the sacrifice, the temple, all of these things that he's seeing, these feasts that are going on, all of them point toward the Messiah. They point toward the one who would come. They point toward God himself coming to save his people. And so he's going to see all of all of these things going on. He's going to see the Passover. And you know what happens? You know the story. Verse 43 through 45, they lose him. Verse 43 says, and when they had fulfilled the days, when all this was over and they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. They didn't know where he was, but they supposing him to have been in the company when a day's journey and they sought him among their kinfolks and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, don't be hard on Mary and Joseph. It's easy to lose your kid. Now, this company that you're talking about, they would travel, people would travel to Jerusalem for the Passover in huge caravans, in huge caravans just for protection, you know, bandits and all that kind of stuff going on. Uh, And so the families usually travel together and, you know, all the kids playing and they're with their cousins and their their aunts and their uncles and all the families traveling together. It would have been easy for it would have been easy for a 12 year old for parents to say, well, was he with you? No, I didn't know. I thought he was with you. He's not with you. Have you ever lost a kid? Anybody? 
I remember when my, you wouldn't tell me if you would, would you? I remember when I was a kid, I didn't ever get lost. I was, I was too smart for that. But uh, no, it's a joke. Uh, my brother, one time we, we were on our way to Texas or something. My grandparents lived in Texas and we were on our way to see them. And my brother, uh, we stopped at a, a rest stop, rest area. And we went into his bathroom. It was just he and I and my mother. And uh, of course, we went in and did our, did our stuff. And I come out. He didn't come out. And so she's waiting and waiting and waiting, and there's cars coming and going, you know, coming and going. They're stopping and then leaving, and we waited. It seemed like forever. She said, go in there and find him, and I went in there, and he wasn't in there. And so we didn't know where he was, and she freaked completely out. I mean, there were cars coming and going. She was trying to write, think of people's license plate numbers or whatever, and she was, I mean, legitimately freaking out. You know, and of course, I was like, I don't know. that's just more food for me. I don't know. where." <clears throat> but he, she was absolutely and she just let out. She went into the bathroom and let out this scream, Jamie Velada. And he popped out of one stall. Ah! <laughs> you know what happened to him, don't you? Oh, he got tore up. He got tore up. But you can imagine you can imagine the fear. That Mary and Joseph have. I mean, not only this wasn't just a rest stop. They done traveled a day away from Jerusalem. They done traveled. You know, they're on their way home. And when they go to camp for the night, they're a day away and they're sitting around the campfire. I'm just using my imagination. They're sitting around the deal. And have you seen have you seen Jesus? No, I thought he was with you. Well, he's probably with the cousins. Go over there and check and see if. Well, no, they hadn't seen him. Either. Well, when's the last time anybody well, last time we saw him was in Jerusalem. And so they're a day away. Then they have to travel a day back. And it wasn't until the third day that they found him. It says, it says, uh, verse, what were we at? 47, six. And it came to pass after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions, both hearing them and asking them questions. They should have known 12 year old Jesus. Understanding who he is, understanding what all of this is pointing to. He was hungry for the word of God. He was hungry to be in the house of God. He was hungry to hear what these people were saying. These priests and these doctors, these, uh, what it says doctors, it's not talking about phys- physicians. It's talking about uh, learned men of the law. He, he's hungry for God's word. He's hungry to uh, understand all of these things. Now, sometimes you, people, we might think that uh, he's given them a seminar, you know, like, well, well, Dr. So-and-so, you know, I don't really think the Red Sea happened that way. I mean, I should know I was there. Uh, you know, we, we thinking that he was doing that. I don't think that's what was going on. He was asking them questions. And he was hearing them and asking them questions. Now, of course, it was apparent that this wasn't an ordinary boy. This wasn't an ordinary child. This was uh, it was something different about him because they were astonished at the answers that he was given. They were astonished at the things that he was saying. But what you see here is that he was he was infatuated. He was eat up with hearing of God's word, hearing of the things of the temple, hearing of the things that God had done in Israel hearing of the truth of God, he was becoming, he was starting to understand who he was. He was understanding that all of this that they're talking about is pointing to me. 
This temple that we're sitting in is pointing to me. He's going to compare it with his body before his ministry is over. All of this is pointing toward me. I am the Messiah. His sinless heart desired, hungered for God's word, hungered to be in the presence of in the presence of God, to be in the house of God. And he is an absolute. So all of this shows you that he is absolutely 100 percent man. He was 100% man. He is 100% man. I I don't know if I'm stressing that enough. Understand what that means. I'm going to show you in a minute. He's also 100% God from this text. But being 100% man, do you understand what that means? Let me try it again. Because y'all are not looking at me with the awe and the wonder that, that, that I have. God, from all eternity, chose to incorporate a human nature into the Trinity chose to take a human nature and bring that nature into the Godhead. You see the father from eternity passes father, son, Holy Spirit. It's always been father, son, Holy Spirit. They enjoyed love relationship with each other, fellowship with each other. God has been Trinity for all eternity, even before there was a creation. And then, of course, you know what happened. God created uh, humankind and, and the earth and all those things. And Adam and Eve, they messed it all up. And then you and I, when we were born, we messed it up worse. And, and all of our lives is just filled with sin. And God can't turn his face to sin. He can't allow sin in his presence. He can't have sin uh, anywhere near him because he's perfectly righteous and perfectly just. And so what he decides to do is take the second person of the Trinity and send him to become man. And then that man, that God man lives perfectly, lives absolutely perfectly, always keeping the law of God, never failing in not one point. And that's a huge thing. We say a lot of times, well, Jesus never sinned. And like it's some little bitty deal. Well, that means that he, he not only didn't do anything bad, but he always did what he was supposed to do. Always did what was right. And so he did this perfectly. He lived a perfect life and then he gave himself to die on the cross, standing in for you, standing in for me, standing in for humanity. He gave himself on a cross and then in three days he was risen from the grave and he ascended into heaven as both God and man. If you read in Colossians chapter two, one of our favorite passages verses, it's either eight, it's either nine or ten. Paul says, this is after, this is years after the ascension. Paul says, in him dwells, present tense, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Which means that even now at the right hand of the Father in heaven, Jesus is still God and man. When you get to heaven, if you drop dead right here as I'm speaking, if I bore you to death and your heart stops beating and you fall over, you will stand before God And you will be able to see Jesus. You'll be able to see the man, Jesus, who is also God. You'll be able to touch the nail prints in his hand. You'll be able to see. You'll be able to interact. You'll be able to be with Jesus. Because today he is still God and man. He intercedes for you at the right hand of the Father as God and man. Understand what that means. From now on, from now, from from zero or whatever it was that that Jesus 
died 33 AD, whenever it was, from that point in history, for the rest of all eternity, a human nature dwells in the Godhead. And that means that you and I can come into that relationship. The same love that the Father has for the Son, He he has for you who are in Christ. The same love and desire that the Holy Spirit has for the Son, He has for you if you're in Christ. And so for for the rest of eternity, God didn't choose just to send the Son. The Son didn't choose to come and give His life. And then, you know, He rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven and everything goes back to normal. Everything went back to the way it was. No, it never will again in all eternity be, be back the way it was. Never. From that time on, from the time of uh, the resurrection and the ascension on, there will always be forever, for all eternity, a human nature in the Godhead. The second person of the Trinity is now God and man. And that's for you and for me. And so he's absolutely man, but he's also God. Let me hurry up and I'll get done. It says, and he said unto them, of course, his mom saw him. You know what happens. Scared turns to angry real quick when you lose a kid. When they saw him, verse 48, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Why have you done this to us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. We are, that is not as beautiful as what my mother told my brother. I promise you. I promise you. And then Jesus answers them and he says this. And this is, this is an answer. This is not a sinful talk back. This is not, a, this is not a, 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 a response of just, you know, well, who you think you are. This is genuine surprise. He's genuinely surprised that they're so fearful and they were so looking for him as if they didn't know where he was. He says, and he said unto them, how is it that you sought me? He says, wist ye not, which means don't you know, that I must be about my father's business. Now, we've read that before and I've read that before. It says, and they understood not the saying which he spoken to them. Well, did they not understand his language? Why didn't they understand? That doesn't make sense. You need to understand what he just said. If you go back, put it back on 49 on the screen, Houston. That right there is what's going to get him crucified. He says, don't you understand? He says, don't you know that I'm, I've got to be about my father's business? Now, God has often been called father. In the Old Testament, I looked it up. It's about 14 times he's called father in different instances. But it's never a person saying my father. It's always the father of the nation or our father in heaven or our father, God. Even it's said of Abraham that he was, God was Abraham's father, but Abraham himself never calls God my father. And so by Jesus calling God my father, I'm sure that his parents was like, what is he talking about? I'm sure that the doctors that he were listening to, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, whoever it was that was in the temple, they were thinking, ooh, he, sh- he shouldn't have said that. Of course, he's just a 12-year-old. We're, we'll give him some slack. We don't know. He shouldn't have said that. Turn with me just real quick to John chapter 5, verse 18. Let me just read that to you. Maybe Houston can throw it up there before I can get to it. It says... Therefore, the Jews sought, this is after Jesus has grown, 
Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Do you understand this 12 year old boy in the temple hearing these things, teaching these things to these men, uh, showing uh, his messianic mind, his sinful heart. I mean, his his not sinful heart his sinless heart, I should say, uh, showing all these things when he said, don't you know, I should be about my father's business in my father's house. Everybody recalled like, oh, don't say that. That's not what that's not what it's supposed to be. But Jesus understood. He was understanding that he is the Messiah. He is God. And man, by saying he is God is my father. This is what they sought to kill him for. They said, look, you can't say that he's just your father because that makes you equal with God. You can't say that. Jesus understood himself. He was God. And he was man. He was 100% God, 100% man. He did such a thing for you and I. And so when it says, my father, don't you know he, I should be about my father's business. Understand what Jesus did. That was the Old Testament I was telling you about with 14 times God's called father, never my father. In the New Testament, he's called my father quite a bit. Jesus always uses my father. And then... After Jesus is resurrected, after Jesus ascends to heaven, it says all those in Christ can call him father, can call him Abba. That's what it says. Father, because of what he did, because uh, that he was God and he took upon himself flesh, became a man, died for you, rose again and went back into the throne room of God as God and man. You and I can come into the same relationship with the father that Jesus experienced. That's a huge deal to me. That's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. That understand that that same love that the father has for the son, he has for you if you're in the son. The same perfection that the father sees in the son, he sees in you if you have the son. The same relationship that the father has with the son He has with you if you are in the son. He says, don't you know that you should be about my father's? uh, I should be about my father's business. He was saying, in effect, although they didn't quite understand at the time. I am God. I am the Messiah. I am the son of God who is sent. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. He took on flesh and became a man, but he did not cease to be God. You and I can call upon Father as Abba. We can call upon him in the same relationship that Jesus had to his Father because of who he is. Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, if you're in him, he brought you with him into that relationship. Jesus said, Father, glorify me with the glory that you had with you before the world began. And all of those who trust in Christ, all of those who've repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus, enjoy that relationship. There is no more wrath for the sinner who is in Christ Jesus. There is no more judgment for the sinner who is in Christ Jesus. There is nothing but love. I'll often, I've said this many times before, but I often think about what it would have been like 
for Jesus to stroll back into the throne room of God after completing, after he ascended into heaven and completed, you know, his mission. I, I, I use my imagination. I don't know what it really was like, but I can imagine Jesus, the son of God, God himself, the creator took on human flesh and is walking back through the throne room of God, about to sit down at the right hand of the Father, you can imagine the praise and the adoration and the glory, the angels bowing down. I mean, I'm just kind of using my imagination. But most of all, you can imagine the Father looking at the Son. How would He see Him? Who had gone through humiliation, had gone through suffering, who had gone through all of these things just to save humanity, just to save men and glorify the name of the Father, had done all of this, had, to- had taken upon himself, humbled himself to become a baby and grow as a man and be beaten and be mocked and all these things. What would the Father think? of the son as he walked back toward the throne of almighty God, he would have, he would have had such love and such pride, good pride in this son of his that had done this wonderful thing for him. He would have truly said, this is my son. This is my beloved son. And in him, I am well pleased. Understand that we who are in Christ, he looks at us With that same love, with that same pride, with that same joy, he can say to you, even as a sinner, he can say to you, this is my son. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Not because he's so well pleased with you. He's well pleased with his son. If you're in his son, then he's well pleased with you. Last two verses and we'll go. Jesus basically dropped the bombshell at 12 years old. He said, my father in the temple. Who knows what they were thinking? They probably, they probably recoil like nails on a chalkboard. But look what God did. God the son. He says, they understood not what he said, which he spoke unto them, 51, and he went down with them. He left with them and came to Nazareth And was subject unto them. He submitted himself. Can you imagine such a thing? Can you imagine? Can you imagine such a thing? God from all eternity submitted himself to his earthly parents who weren't really his parents. Mary was his parent, but Joseph really was. Submitted. I always get this picture like you always get this picture in your mind. It's it's definitely wrong, but it's like, you know, Joseph said, Jesus, now I told you to be in the dark. Jesus is like, well, you don't want me to call my real daddy, do you? you know? <laughs> it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Jesus subjected himself to his mother and his father. You know why? Because that's the law of God. Amen. Be obedient to your parents. That's the law of God. And Jesus never broke the law of God, not a single time. He subjected himself to his earthly I mean, he had just gotten, gotten finished saying one of the most outlandish by the worldly standards, the outlandish things you could possibly imagine. Knowing he was Messiah, knowing that all of this, the temple, the sacrifices, all of these things point toward him. And when it was said and done, he left and he submitted himself to his parents. It says, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. In verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom. 
he increased in wisdom. At 12 years old, Jesus still had a lot of learning to do as a man. He still had to learn lots of things. He was like us in every way. He was a person with two natures. He had a human nature and he had a divine nature that was God himself, the second person of the Trinity. He said he increased in wisdom and stature. That truth, I probably haven't explained it real well, but that truth that he is God and he is man is the reason why you can sit here today forgiven of your sin. The truth that he is God and is, and is also man is the reason why you can pray at night and God hears your prayers. The, the truth that he is God and that he is man is the reason why you can have joy in your circumstances today, knowing that there's a heaven waiting on you and there's a new creation and a, a new heavens and a new earth waiting on, on those who trust in him. This is so important for us. But more importantly than that, I want you to see Jesus took upon himself, God himself in the form of God, you know, not thinking it robbery to be equal with God. He took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient to death. And because he did that, Paul says in Philippians chapter two, he says, because Jesus did that, you and I in Christ are to humble ourselves and to think of one another more than we think of ourselves. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, verse 3. Understand that Jesus, the God of the universe, submitted himself to death for you. Submitted himself to his earthly parents for you. Took on the form of a man for you. Gave his life for you and rose from the dead for you. The only question that you have to answer today is, am I in Christ? Am I in Christ? That's the only question that matters. That's the only thing. Don't matter. I'm not asking how good you're doing. I'm not asking if you're failing or if you're succeeding or how wonderful you're being or if you've messed up or if you've done wrong things or if you, whatever. The only question that matters is, are you in Christ? If you have the son, you have the life. The one who has the son has the life. The one who has not the son has not the life. Today, the only way the father will look at you and say, this is my son, my daughter, and I am well pleased, is if you are in Christ. If you're trying to do it on your own merit, trying to do it in your own strength, God will look at you and he will pour out wrath upon all your sin, all the works that you think are getting you by or that meriting you something will come to absolutely nothing. They're all tainted with sin. They're all stained with sin. They're all dung. But he's offered you salvation in his son, the God of all gods, the only true God, the creator of the universe, chose to humble himself and become a baby. To learn how to use his hands and his feet, to grow into a man, be uh, humiliated and rejected, to be tortured, to be murdered. And he rose from the grave so that you can have right relationship with the Father. Come to him today. Come to him and trust him today. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this this truth, God. I I just pray that you would use what we've read, God. Even if what I've said was 
incoherent. I pray that you would use the word that we've read out loud. That